Welcome to the Hot Crime Cold Coffee podcast with Pauline and Angie. Each week we bring you new episodes on Wednesdays and Fridays. Each episode includes our favorite coffee that we're drinking, a missing person spotlight, and whatever case we're currently working on. We also have bonus episodes Monday through Friday, daily cup of true crime in 15 minutes or less, where we share trivia, true crime updates and headlines, and fun facts. So join us. Please be sure to follow us on social media for bonus material. Listener discretion is advised due to sensitive and sometimes violent content. Hey there, and welcome to episode 21, part 20 of the Vallo Daybell case. We're kind of late because, well, we suck. Said, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> you sounded like you were dead and dying. I did. It was um, like my voice still sounds deep, and you can t- still hear that I'm congested some, but significantly better, like major improvement. Although I'll living probably off, start sneezing. <clears throat> living off of cheap vodka and two cartons of Pall Malls a day is how you described it. <laughs> That's how it sounded. <laughs> it, was, uh, it was a good time. It was so bad. Like when I talked to you on the phone, I couldn't even tell it was you. I had to keep looking at my phone to make sure that it said Angie on it. I know it wasn't even like a sexy phone sex voice or anything like that. It was like just fully just, it was just bad. For sure. All right. So a couple of things, Angie and I have decided what we're going to do for our Patreon and that should be up sometime this week. So what we want to do is we want to involve our audience as much as possible. So there's going to be a couple different tiers. But our main objective is to get you guys involved. So we want you guys to be involved in our, you know, coffee sessions when we talk about planning our episodes, what's going to be in the episodes, and all of the background stuff. We've got a couple different series that we're going to be doing in the next couple of months because we're getting close to the end of the Vallow Daybell case until they start the trial. So it's going to be pretty much updates. And I'm not going to lie. I'm pretty excited about that. What? That we're going to be done with this or what yes. <laughs> we're getting into now? Well, both. I'm really excited for what we have coming up, but I'm also really excited that we're almost done with the Vallow Daybell case. Until the trial. Until the trial. Yes. Yes. We definitely need something new to take our minds off of everything. Cause this is, we've deep dived into this and sometimes you need to step back from some of these cases. Yes. You get a little too involved where it starts to become part of your world. And then it, it kind of, um, paints like your everyday view on things a little bit. Yes, because once you hear something or see something, then it pops up everywhere. Yes. And going so deep into one particular case, it's 
been a little rough and we've been doing this since September. So we're in our third month of it. So it'll be a nice change to get into something else. And we have a couple different ideas that we've been floating around and we're going to be doing 10 episodes of each of those ideas. But it's important to us to also have different perspectives because sometimes we can be so focused on almost tunnel vision that it's interesting to have different perspectives. So one of the tiers that we're going to have is twice a month, we're gonna let you in on our Zoom sessions and you guys can throw around ideas and things like that. So that is definitely something to look forward to. And we'll have our Patreon link live beginning December 1st. And then we'll start doing our lives the beginning of January. It's just too much to juggle right now with the holiday season, which speaking of the holiday season, this week is Thanksgiving. So we're just going to take a break the whole week from our regular episodes so that we can focus on family and cooking and stuff. A lot of cooking. Oh my gosh. I'm hosting it this year. So am I. Well, I always host every year. I was going to say, don't you host every year? (laughs) (laughs) I do. I do. But this year it's a little bit different because my mother-in-law, it's been almost a year since she was gone. So it's, you know, it's going to be different in that aspect, but all of my husband's brothers are coming. So all five of his brothers and then if you count like all the kids, I, we've got at least 40 to 50 people this year, which isn't uncommon or whoever else nope. drops in. Yep. So I know and, I've been at your house at Thanksgiving before. There's yeah. a lot of people there. There's a lot of people there. There's always a lot of people here, holidays and Sunday dinner. Well, the crazy thing is, is like, you know, I always consider my house having a lot of people in it because, you know, we end up with a lot of the teenagers and, um, stuff like that. Um, and now that we have family that is moving into the area or has moved into the area, uh, you know, we have a lot of, a lot of family and stuff like that. Uh, but, um, our house, our main floor is like our living room, dining room, the kitchen area is larger mm-hmm. than everybody else's. So everyone has a tendency to congregate here, which I love. Um, I don't like cleaning the day before they show up, but I do love that everybody is here. Um, but yeah, it's a lot like just the preparation for it. Um, like buying the food before everybody comes, like just when my sister comes during the summer, um, with her kids, cause she's got five boys. So just before she comes, you know, we go to Costco and it's at least two shopping carts full of food just to prepare for the, you know, both our families combined for the week, the week Mm -hmm. that they're here. It's absolutely insane. It's absolutely insane. So yeah. Welcome to my life. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, pretty much. I mean, I've got 15 siblings. My husband's got five siblings. Everybody's got kids and there's always somebody popping in. My family will randomly show up. So Nope. You never know. And you can't, you can't not feed them. Like you have to feed everybody. But do you? Yeah. Well, yeah. Cause a lot of the times the teenagers that show up at my house, they show up hungry because they know like, and I've told them multiple times, cause there's a couple of them, like, you know, like, um, 
some of their families aren't always the greatest and they don't always not they're they just have a hard home life and so you know sometimes they go without eating and so they know if they come to my house I will feed them and I will always feed them so yeah that yeah yeah I, I mean, mean and I see that I, I feel like that's just scratch. kind of part of like part of just where we live too yes that is for sure so. well and the thing is is I I was just being sarcastic because sometimes it can get a little little much especially like you don't know who's I like to be prepared when it comes to food food's really important for me and making sure that people eat and it's sometimes hard when you've got people who drop in that have dietary restrictions. Yes. That is extremely difficult, but there's always something. And I'm always cooking from scratch. I don't do the, let me throw some burritos in the microwave type deal. It's always from scratch, which yep. I have one particular child who shows up specifically for that reason, always at <laughs> dinner time. And always hungry and always looking for whatever I made complains about what I made, but we'll usually have seconds. So there Mm -hmm. you go. Sounds about right. Although I can't complain about the specific dietary needs because you know, Haley is, (laughs) it's always Haley. (laughs) I could never cook for Haley. (laughs) Oh, she'd be fine. She would just look at, she'd ask you what's in it and be like, "Mm." for the most part, she's really easy. Just go meat and potatoes. It's her favorite food and she's not allergic to anything in it. Well, you have one child who whenever she comes over, it's, can you make some rice and gravy? Yes, she's yes, so I can. Even though you rice makes you sick. Yes, yes, I will make it for you. We will go. <laughs> I cannot. T- so we used to go um, out to breakfast and she would order like, you know, normal people, they would order biscuits and gravy. No. She would order a bowl of gravy, not like a side of gravy. Like she wanted a bowl of gravy. Like the looks that we would get from people were like, just do it. A bowl of gravy and either like a side of fruit or um, bacon. And she would eat a bowl of gravy and bacon or she'd have a bowl of gravy and some fruit. So weird. That's too funny. I could totally see that though. Cause that's all she wants when she comes to my house. Can I have rice and gravy? Well, do you want potatoes and gravy? No rice and gravy. All right. Fine. Mm-hmm. Yep. She doesn't care what type of gravy it is. Nope. She doesn't. So... Although her, her go-to is sausage gravy. Like well, the country gravy with sausage. I usually do like either chicken gravy or I'll do beef gravy with mushrooms. She'll eat that. Oh yeah, she loves the mushrooms. Well, she she'll eat anything that I make. But what drives me nuts the most is when all of our kids get together and they decide, well, there's ramen, and I hate ramen. <laughs> I hate it. My husband buys it because every mm-hmm. once in a while he'll crave it. I hate ramen. Like, have you ever passion. seen? Have you ever seen the video? So like there was this uh, scientist and he developed like this camera that he put in a capsule. And so he could watch somebody's digestive, like the way food digested, like through their intestines and everything. And he watched it in this camera because, you know, it was 
is in there. And ramen never breaks down in your um, digestive tract. That's disgusting. Like your intestines, like for whatever, what it's made out or what it's made up of, um, it doesn't, like your intestines can't break it apart properly. And it stays basically as it is like, I mean, obviously at some point it has to break it up, but like in your, in your stomach, it doesn't break down and all that stomach acid, it doesn't break down and your intestines. It doesn't, I'm not sure when it finally turns gross, but yeah, I was like, that is disgusting. (laughs) Yep. That is so gross. And there's so many like gross images coming to mind and ew, ew, ew. But they will eat ramen and they'll make like six or seven packages of it in a big soup pot and then leave all of the wrappers like lying around. And so mm-hmm. last time they did that, I said no more ramen. And somehow they managed to get the powder all over the stove instead of actually in the pot. Like, how do you do that? Hi. Well, there are children, so I guess it's we ridiculous. can't expect more. It's absolutely ridiculous. But what coffee do you have for us today, Angie? Today we have Grounds and Hounds. Uh, it's the Alpha Blend. So Grounds and Hounds is another 100% organic whole bean um, coffee from uh, somewhere somewhere awesome, I'm sure. Uh, Colombia, Guatemala, Sumatra. <laughs> uh, they roast it using the traditional European style that focuses on the full body blends. Uh, this one is pretty cool. Uh, every grounds and hounds cup helps save a pup. That's their slogan. Um, they do what they can to support animal rescue initiatives um, and organizations by donating a portion of their sales. Um, so they all go to a dog in need. Um, there you have like, this thing. I don't know if it's on the back of their sorry coffee or whatever but um they've provided 1.5 million shelter meals uh 3,000 toys provided 1,500 microchips 500 spay and neuters 2,000 vaccine for rescue pups um to let's see and 2,000 pups transferred to no-kill organizations all um and it's this is through 300 different organizations so it's all pretty cool um so yeah, they have a, a pretty good um, thing that they're doing. Wow, my brain would it would be really nice if it works. It would be amazing. Um, and the coffee is fantastic. It's a this one is a a good dark blend. Um, it smells amazing when it's roasting. Um, so this one has like vanilla, ginger, and nutmeg notes. You definitely taste it in the coffee, but you also smell it when it's brewing, which Mm -hmm. I kind of love because I love vanilla. I love ginger. I love nutmeg. Again, I'm not a huge flavored coffee person, but this doesn't taste like, um, like the artificial flavoring that they would normally put in it. It tastes like the actual spices. So it's freaking delicious. It's, it's good. It's good stuff. I really like it. That's it. That's all I got for that coffee. Try it. You can buy it on Amazon. Uh, you can buy it on the grounds and hounds coffee.com. I believe, um, they do subscriptions. They do 
tax. They do all kinds of stuff. Um, and they have a whole bunch of really cool, super cute holiday um, merch right now too. Um, so go check it out. Yeah, it's really good. I got the Alpha Blend and then there's another one. I think it was paper and slippers that was really nice. And yeah, oh, they have super cute names. I know. Adorable. It was, we're suckers for really good marketing. Let's just throw that out there. It's true. It's true. Wait until you see the coffee that I have for next episode. Angie, you're going to die. <gasps> it's a huge me? secret, but when you see it, you're like going to die. Do you have any for me to like, taste? I may or may not have ordered double so that I could send some with Neva. Heck yeah. All right. Uh, Who's our missing person today, Angie? Our missing person. So we are still going in alphabetical order. Um, We are doing Maine. This is Robert Liam Desmond, missing since August 1st, 1964 from Kinnebunk, Maine considered endangered missing male white. Uh, he was born 821, 1953. He was 10 years old when he went missing. Um, Caucasian male, black hair, brown eyes, and he went by the name of Bobby. So this story is actually super, super sad. Uh, he wasn't reported missing by his parents. Uh, he actually was only reported missing about a month after he had disappeared um, when he failed to return to school after summer break and people realized that he was gone. And when they went and asked his parents about it, they said, oh, we thought he had run away. Um, And they had also told uh, his siblings that they had thought he ran away. Well, when you actually dive deeper into the story, um, his father was an alcoholic um, and would become very, very violent um, when he would drink. Um, So the night of his disappearance, uh, the father had been drinking, the kids had been, uh, he was really upset because the kids hadn't made their beds correctly. Um, His older sister had said that she hid in her bedroom closet and um, didn't come out until the screaming had stopped. So she actually fell asleep in the closet. And when she woke up, everything was quiet. Uh, Her sister had escaped from the house through the window using a rope that was made out of a sheet. And then when she went to the other room, she saw her brother lying on the floor, only dressed in underwear. He wasn't moving. She tried to grab him and drag him into the closet, but he was too heavy. Mother saw her, got mad. And um, so she dropped her brother, hid under the bed, and her mother ended up dragging her out by her foot. Uh, through the house down into the basement and locked her in a crate. Um, so when she woke up in the morning, she had thought it had all been a bad dream. She'd actually blocked it out for years because it was such a traumatic night and didn't remember it for, oh goodness, I want to say it was like 10 years um, is when she started remembering it. Um, and, uh, but when she had got up in the morning, her mom told her that it was she had just had a nightmare the door was open she had money missing from her purse and that Robert had run away he'd stolen the money and run away 
Um, and then they just didn't talk about him anymore. Um, slowly pictures of him started to disappear from the family's home. Um, when they would ask what happened to him, um, you know, his, his, their mom and dad would just tell him, I don't know what it is that you're even trying to say, but you're wrong. Nothing happened. Like you're crazy. Just kind of like gaslit him basically. Um, and yeah, it was, it was pretty crazy. Um, so the house that they had lived in, they had re-cemented the basement floor in 1968. The authorities actually dug up the cement floor looking for his body in 1976 and didn't find him. Um, and um, they closed the file and it was just recently reopened with prompting from his siblings. Both mom and dad are gone now. They're both died. Um, it's still unsolved and his siblings have actually requested that they reopen the case. There's this whole podcast on it right now um, that was just done by Dark Down East. And it's what happened to Robert Bobby Desmond. It is crazy sad. Um, but, uh, you know, you can go and check that out if you want to <laughs> look into it more. If you have any information on the disappearance of Bobby Desmond, um, you can contact Kennebunk Police Department 207-985-6121 or the Maine State Police Major Crimes Unit South at 207-624-7076. Um, just be warned ahead of time, if you decide to go and listen to this, there is some really graphic um, descriptions. descriptions of child abuse. So um, just for future reference, you know, if you go and listen to it, it's not for the faint of heart. It's, it's pretty sad. And I believe it is the oldest missing person case in Maine. I think, yeah, well, I think I you're saw right. that somewhere. Yep, I think you're right. So 1964, geez, that's, I can't even do the math. That's 50, over 50 years ago. 56, yeah, 50, 57? Yeah, yeah, 56, 57. It's absolutely insane that people can just disappear. Even now that happens. There was that little girl that they still haven't found her. She's been gone. She wasn't reported missing until two years after her disappearance. I can't remember which state. I'll probably think about it once this podcast is over. Um, the little girl from Massachusetts. I want to say Mackenzie or Kennedy. But Ooh. they still haven't found her body, even though her dad and her stepmom have been charged. I'll think about it like tonight when I'm well, the crazy the thing about this up. is like you know uh, I don't understand how they could close the case like mom and dad never reported him missing at the age of 10 they're like oh he just you know he just ran away but you know they know they like the police had been to the house multiple multiple times um you know because of the dad's outbursts because, you know, because of his alcoholism and everything else like that. So they know that he's violent. They know this stuff. And they're just like, yeah, we're just going to close the case. Sorry. Like, whatever. He's just gone now. Like, I, I don't understand. A huge part of that too, though, is like in the fifties, they weren't there. They didn't really regulate 
abuse against children and violence against children. It wasn't something that was prevalent, I guess, you know, like I remember some of just from stories from my mother-in-law and my mom, some of the stuff that they went through and yet nobody, like nobody did anything. My mother-in-law was in the foster care system and some of the things that she went through, which nobody ever reported or talked about, or there wasn't a social worker that like pulled them out or anything. (coughs) And then some of the stuff that my mom went through as a kid, you know, nowadays I, I would think that somebody would have gotten involved, but back then, you know, and kids went missing all, it seemed like kids went missing all the time back then. It, it seemed like in the sixties and seventies, like clear up until the nineties, like, and, and maybe we just don't hear about it because a lot of these missing persons cases, they don't get solved until 30, 40, 50 years later. It seems like, yeah, that's true. So it's just crazy, bizarre. All right. Um, no update, updates. Cause I've been covering those pretty good in the dailies. I just wanted to mention though, that judge boys, he has determined that Lori is competent and also he'd, I know. Right. <laughs> but they have to take mental health has to be taken seriously. It doesn't no, matter. I, no, I, I agree. I agree. But I'm, <laughs> I'm glad that she's, that she's competent. Um, just because yeah I don't have anything nice to say there have been so many speculations though of is this a ruse or not is it a ruse to try to get out of facing trial and facing what really happened or does she really have mental health issues right and you and I have discussed a little bit again we try to keep our personal opinions out of this but we have discussed that her whole, her patterns that she has in her life with the religion and the husbands and all of that, that goes back to when she was a kid with the fanaticism. And then <coughs> that being a fanatic or a religious fanatic and taking it to these extremes doesn't necessarily mean that someone has a mental illness, but on the other hand, mental illness is so complex that her actions, if she was the one who did it, her actions could have let, let, or led to situational mental illness. And it could be that she does have a severe mental illness or she has a mental illness that was crippling enough, you know, back in 2021, she may still have it now. We don't know because we don't have access to the records, which we shouldn't. That would be a huge HIPAA violation. Yeah. But they have to take it seriously because the minute that you don't take mental health seriously, horrible things can happen. I remember when uh, when I was in New Mexico, I did a lot of uh, 
treatment court and you had to have a, you had to be duly diagnosed, which meant substance abuse and mental health. And a lot of the times our clients would come in in mental health crisis, usually just before court date, right? And the question is, is it real or is it not? But we had to take every single uh, incident as if it was a true mental health emergency. And that's just what the court systems are doing. They're just doing their job. And I would hope if I was in that situation and having a mental health crisis, they would take it just as serious. And working with, you know, several jails um, throughout my lifetime, they need to take that very seriously, regardless if it's a ploy or not. Because the one time you don't, that's yep. somebody's life. Yep. So... And then Judge Boyce has deemed that there's no reason to sever the cases. He's going to keep them together. And now we're just waiting for a new trial date. Which I also love because I feel like, you know, they did the crimes together. They're, they should be tried together. Yes, I do think that everybody deserves a fair trial and that um, it's going to be tricky to keep things um, fair on both sides, but I don't think that they should be severed. So I think there's pros and cons to that. Personally, I think they should keep it joined because the money that's going to be saved, all of the witnesses that they have, which, uh, the prosecution has said it's the same exact evidence, the same exact witnesses. Yep. And imagine have to go through two trials. Like this is, very traumatic anyway and so for her the witnesses to go through two two trials for the family right. to have to go through two trials I've and having to before. wait that amount of additional time before they can bury those poor kids it's yeah <clears throat> i didn't even think about that but you are right additional time and lindsey blake brought it up in the severance in the motion to sever hearing and i've been saying this you guys you guys know that I've been saying this for months now since we started this case. Have a joint trial, do two separate juries. It absolutely works and it would solve all the problems. And in all of hey. the Facebook groups and forums. Hey. Do not what? bother them with your logic and reason. That is ridiculous. My goodness. I know, right? <laughs> but it makes sense. And no, they, they may not I agree. <laughs> they may do it. I would hope that they would do it just because it solves the majority of the problems if you didn't have a joint trial, you know what I mean? Or if you had a joint trial, all of those little reasons that you might use to appeal, just have two separate juries. It solves the problem of gender disparity. It solves the problem of the, of both, Lori's lawyers and Chad's lawyers of having very different, and this is something that John Pryor said, very different defense strategies, because he's been pretty open about his strategy, which again, (laughs) just saying, I told you so. This started back when Chad's kids did the interview for 48 hours, you know, throw the blame on Lori. 
Yep. That's been his defense strategy all along. If you look at just about everything that he's done, he's been very methodical and meticulous. Every interview that that family's given, which has only been one, his kids have only done one interview. Um, but everything that he's released or talked about, it's so strategic. I know that he's a little rough around the edges, but I, I can see all of these little dots and how they're all connecting. And he's been setting up this strategy since he took yep. up the So. No, I totally agree. I, yeah, I 100% agree. You can see the pattern. Oh yeah, absolutely. And then one more thing that I wanted to bring up, if you guys haven't watched it yet, there is the three-part series that Hidden True Crime has done. It's the interview with Chad's sister-in-law, Heather Daybell. It's extremely good. I think that she did very well without um, telling other people's versions of the story. I'm sure that she got backlash from Chad's family, but it was good to hear a family member's perspective that wasn't that wasn't Lori's family or wasn't um, somebody else. It was interesting to get that perspective from Chad's side of the family. Because again, no one has given interviews except for his kids. And that was 48 hours. And that was back in 2020, I believe, or the beginning of 2021. I'd have to look at my notes. So if you haven't listened to it or watched it, I listened to it. I didn't watch it. I just, it was so good. It was a little long though. It's three parts. It's, I want to say between five and six hours total. So I just listened to it as if it was a podcast. Yeah, it's, I started <laughs> listening to it. It's, <laughs> hard <laughs> why because you get you keep getting interrupted I keep getting interrupted or um I have a really I have a really bad habit of um listening to things and then my, I don't know if I have like ADD or something like that but like it'll say no. something and it'll make my brain like jump from like one thing to Oh God, the, the, how quickly my brain can change subjects is absolutely ridiculous. And it hops like super fast. Like we could be talking about cookies and then all of a sudden I'll be like, oh, so did I tell you about this dress that I bought? And you're like, what the actual hell? Um, so I do that when I listen to things. And then when I finally come back to listening to it, I realize I've missed like 20 minutes and I have no idea what's going on because I was you... too busy involved in like thoughts in my brain. <laughs> You, you, ah, oh, no, you don't have ADHD. What are you talking about? I feel like you're mocking me now. <laughs> I'm not mocking you. It's just that you and I are usually on that same wavelength. We'll be talking about one thing and then we'll jump together down the rabbit hole. And then oh we can in 15 minutes and go right back to where we were at. It's ridiculous. Yeah. It's like, um, I was trying to explain it to my husband the other day. And um, have you seen that, that meme where it's like my brain, you know, imagine 
imagine like a computer that has like mm-hmm. 9,572 different tabs open and you're jumping in between every single one of them. That's what it's like inside of my brain all the time. Like the amount of like thoughts that are running through my head at one point in time is just absolutely insane. I wouldn't know anything about that. (laughs) (laughs) Because my brain is so well organized. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's organized. It's just maybe not to somebody else. It's a good thing people can't see inside my brain. It's a big bag of weird up there. Oh my gosh, for sure. I I know what's in your brain because you, yeah, you and I were usually on the same crazy rabbit hole, multiple tab, weird wavelength. <sighs> yep. All right. Where were we? Um, last I don't know. episode we did. Well, you missed last episode. So ha ha. Um, we were, so, we finished. Up. I have no idea where we are. <laughs> we're in June. So we did May of 2021 where they basically filed the murder charges and all of that. Okay. And then we're at the beginning of June, 2021. We're going to try to get through June and at least through the end of July. I'm trying to keep these all in months. So it just, again, we don't want to go over the one hour for these full episodes. It's just a little too much. All right. So... On June 1st of 2021, Lori was deemed incompetent. So the very end of May, what happened was that they put a hold on her case. They postponed her portion of the hearing. And then in May or June, June 1st of 2021, they deemed her as incompetent and it blew up because so many people were like, what the heck, what does this mean? What's going to happen? Does this mean that she's going to be deemed insane? And no, that's not what it was. What it was is she was being deemed incompetent and they would revisit the competency every couple of months, meaning she was either incapable of assisting in her defense or understanding the charges. But so many people were angry that this could happen. And it's law, it is what it is. And mental health, again, has to be taken very seriously because the day that you don't take it seriously is the day that someone loses their life. I know that's a very hypocritical statement when it comes to this, but it is, it is what it is. So she was deemed incompetent and Rob Wood and the prosecution, they were disputing this incompetency. They're like, no, this, this can't be right. What do you mean? She's incompetent. And then on June 7th, they no longer disputed it. They understood that, yes, there is a competency issue. And they, they acknowledged 
that yes, it was a correct determination and correct action to uh, continue testing and evaluating her. On June 9th, she was committed to a mental health facility. In most states, that means the state hospital. And yes, the facility was run by the state of Idaho. Some states have multiple hospitals. I know that New Mexico has one. I know that Montana has one. I'm not sure how many are in Idaho. And they didn't release where she was at, obviously, for her protection, because people can do and say crazy things when someone is facing horrific charges. Uh, also on June 9th, Chad Daybell pleaded not guilty to all of his charges. Most people, when they go to trial, initially will plead not guilty. It opens up the door for them to talk a little bit longer with their lawyers and also to put together a good defense. Because usually if someone pleads guilty, then it's treated completely different. In this case, he pled not guilty to all of the charges and that meant that it was going to go to trial. They, they wouldn't even begin the sentencing phase or anything like that. It was, all right, let's prepare for a trial. The problem was he pled not guilty, but his case was still joined with Lori's. It's because they're co-defendants. They're both being accused more or less of the same crimes they're being accused of being involved in Tammy's death, JJ's death, and Tylee's death. The insurance fraud, the social security fraud, each one has their own charges. Uh, Chad's was insurance fraud and Lori's was uh, social security fraud. It's really hard to get life insurance on children. Let's just throw that out there. Um, Kay and Larry were so angry and upset at the time. Those are JJ's grandparents. If you need a refresher, <coughs> Kay's response was, he's such a liar. He's such a liar. When it came to Chad stating that he was not guilty, that he had nothing to do with these deaths. I understand the anger behind it, especially since in June of 2021, it had almost, almost been two years since the children disappeared. They were also very angry that Lori was deemed incompetent. And so many people since that happened back in 2021, they all think it's a ruse. And we already discussed that earlier in the episode, so I'm not going to jump back. On June 14th, oh goodness, Lori's lawyer, Mark Means, thank God he's not her lawyer anymore. Spoiler alert. <laughs> he drove me nuts. Just some of his requests and 
the way that he acted and all that, like he was trying to be all suave and cool, like John Pryor. Yeah. Because I don't think John Pryor is very likable, but that man with his weird demands, because John Pryor has had some very interesting demands, his demands, you can tell that there's a reason behind his crazy demands. But with Mark Means, it almost seemed like it was like bully and power. You know what I mean? Yeah. Just totally had a chip on her shoulder. (laughs) Something. Or he's trying to like little man syndrome. You know what I mean? Yes. And I'm not trying Mm -hmm. to bash him. I'm sure he's an excellent lawyer, but when it came to this, to this case, his demands were obnoxious even. (laughs) Don't hold back. Tell me how you really feel. (sighs) Well, (laughs) I am trying to be objective. Um, But and Mark means, again, I'm sure he's an excellent lawyer. And this case probably took a huge toll on him. If you listen to some of the rumors that went around about Mark means, poor dude. <laughs> but he was just obnoxious. Even on paper, he was obnoxious. And that, that, that <laughs> is an art to sound obnoxious on paper (laughs) so he made all of these weird requests that oh my gosh you know about certain recordings certain records he wanted access to all of it um he wanted All everything transcripted, um, just all of these crazy demands. And I mean, even regarding like her, um, her con- like concerns regarding legal services, that she be able to have the same access to services and defense fees you know like a lawyer and all of that as anybody else who had money and I don't think that's ever been a concern because a public defender or a court appointed attorney they're two separate things they are just as good as a private attorney John Pryor is a, I believe he's still a private attorney for Chad Daybell, but Lori's attorney, or attorneys now, because Mark Means is no longer her lawyer, they were court appointed. They're not public defenders. The difference between a public defender and a court appointed attorney is the public defender is essentially hired by the state and a court appointed attorney is an attorney that uh, basically uses the allotted pro bono hours that they have to do like free service hours I guess 
they use those towards whatever case. So a public a public defender is a state employee that represents someone in their criminal defense. And the court appointed attorney is appointed by the court, but it's not, they're not paid by the court. They're not paid by the state. They're not an employee of the state. They're just doing this to get their pro bono hours. And recently that is what happened with the Richard Allen case. Um, he is the one being accused of the Delphi murders. He doesn't have a public defender. He has a court appointed attorney. Actually it's two attorneys partially because he's facing the death penalty, but there you go. Some legal ish general information, I guess. I know lots of random information when it comes to this stuff. <coughs> um, Mark Means really riled up the prosecutors. Like, again, obnoxious on paper, obnoxious in person. And they felt that all of his requests, and it was such a long laundry list, I'm not even going to get into because I think it was absolutely ridiculous. But the prosecution was like, it's inappropriate and absurd. And we don't even need to take this. And then on June 23rd of 2021, they set a trial date for Chad. Now, the cases are still joined. They were joined back then. And Chad initially was the only one listed because due to Lori's incompetency, her case was listed as being put on hold. They couldn't move forward with her case, but they still needed to move forward with Chad's because he still has his rights to, oh gosh, brain fart. To a fair, I guess, a fair trial. A speedy, speedy and fair trial. Speedy. Yes. Even though he did waive his rights to a speedy trial, Lori has not. But now we're like jumping forward. <coughs> so on Wednesday, June 23rd, 2021, they scheduled Chad's hearing to November of 2021. He was still pleading not guilty to every single one of the charges that had led from the May indictment. And so, yeah, so the first trial that was scheduled was November of 2021. And... Towards the end of June, uh, so people people troll the jail roster at the jail that Lori is at, and they also uh, troll because it, they basically, I mean, it's public record. These are all public records. 
The jail roster is a public record. Anybody can access it. Um, you can also access um, through one of the Idaho government websites, public access, right? You can't see the records or anything, but you can see all of the paperwork that's been filed when the court hearings are, all of that stuff. So it was officially listed the end of June of 2021 that Lori was no longer in the jail in Madison County and she had been moved and she had been moved to the Idaho State facility at that time, but it was official. She left the jail and was committed because that's what it is when you go to the state hospital. It's a commitment and people can't just throw other people into the state hospital. There has to be a commitment hearing. Everybody has rights. Um, you can't, you know, you can't just drop someone off at the state hospital. There is court proceedings that you have to go through in order to get into the state hospital. You can't just go because you want to. You actually have to be committed. If you're on in jail. June, well, even no, even when you're in jail, well, in Montana anyway, in Montana, no. if you're in jail, you have to be committed. You still have to go through court proceedings to be committed to the state hospital in Montana yeah. anyway. I don't know yeah. about other states. No, that's what I'm saying. Like if you're in jail, you have to have the hearings. Yep. <clears throat> even, even not being in jail. So I do... I do mental health stuff on weekends. My part-time job, I work in a mental health facility and we do a lot of this commitment stuff. I won't get into too many details, but people will come to us and then we'll get them through the court system. Of, are you going to be committed or not? And there's like judges and lawyers and everything. Like it's a whole process. You can't just drop someone off at the state hospital. <coughs> jail not jail uh, Montana it's a little bit different because not all states have this but in Montana they can actually detain you if they feel that you are at risk to yourself or others they did not have that in New Mexico the like the police could not detain you but here in Montana you can be detained by law enforcement if they feel that you are suicidal or homicidal and cannot contract to safety. And then they they schedule your hearings um, with a lawyer in front of a judge to determine if you're going to be committed. I believe it's the same process across the board. So a big thing happened on June 29th of 2021. Lori was indicted in Arizona for the death of her fourth husband. So when Charles Vallow died, Alex Cox was the one that shot him and Lori was there. They said it was self-defense initially, or that's what Lori and Alex claimed. And with all of their investigative work, they determined it was indeed murder, but there was so much evidence that they had to go through and you can't just charge someone because you think they did it. You have to be able to tell the story. 
the only one left out of the two people or out of the five people in the home the day that Charles Vallow died in 2019 is Alex, Lori, JJ, and Tylee. And the only one left alive now is Lori. So she was indicted and she's being charged with the death of Charles Vallow. And she will be facing those charges after her trial in Idaho, whenever that may be. Arizona has been really good about releasing information to the public and they've done, I mean, they've released phone calls, they've released interviews, they've released text messages, emails. I think they're, I think it was, I know it was in 2021 where they released, it was like over 200, like over 25,000 pages. Yeah. It's like basically everything. They're like, yeah. what do you need? Here you go. <laughs> Some of it's redacted. A lot of it isn't, but you've got, I mean, I, I think I wanted to say, I want to say it's like something ridiculous, like two terabytes. Yeah. It, there's even the body cam footage from um, Alex sitting in front of the house after he shot Charles, isn't there? Yeah. And all of yeah. the interviews that Lori and Tylee gave, Yep. There's, um, and, and they release something new every couple of months, it seems like, but they're not afraid to l- release all of this information. And no. thinking of how much they have released, um, they probably have a lot more that hasn't been released to the public because, you know, you have to keep some things for when the, I mean, I would assume they kept some of the stuff, um, regarding or so that they could have a good trial. Why would you release everything to the public? Yeah. Yeah. It makes you wonder what they haven't released, huh? Like what they actually have. Like held well, back. I'm sure a lot of, a lot of the forensics though, even though they've released a lot of that too, they've released autopsy records, I mean, anything and everything that you can think of, they have released. It's ridiculous. Um, but a lot of the evidence that they have released is, it, uh, let's see. Um, I was trying to think what they released back in July of 2021. Um, some of the text messages basically showing that there was a reason to kill Charles and when they first started planning it. Yep. It was October, November of 2018. Um... On July 7th of 2021, the Arizona prosecutor said they were not going to charge Chad at this time. They just didn't have enough evidence to convince them that he was directly involved. He may have known about it, but they just don't have enough to, for it to be like an ironclad story to be like, well, he did this in order for them to do that. He, he knew about it, but 
they can't say that he had anything to do with the planning. There was a voice recording that was released sometime last year. And um, it was the voice record. He called the mortuary after the fact. Gave them oh, a fake yeah, name. I remember that. Yes. Something yes. Gave that them rhymed a fake with name. his name. The bell. Had the bell. Or something like that. And um, requesting all this so information clever. on cremation and sending the cremains to Louisiana. And <laughs> I mean, he knew about it after it happened, obviously, but again, they cannot, they don't have enough proof to determine that he had anything in the planning or um, what's the other word that he took part in the actual murder so at this point they haven't charged him but they may eventually we don't know what they have up their sleeves <coughs> and then it oh this is the this is the dump here it's in my notes right here so the information dump it was 2500 pages it's 2500 no, gosh, I can't even read math anymore. <laughs> it was, numbers don't like me. It was 2005, over 2,500 pages of information. That did not include all of the videos um, that they've released. And I'm not sure if they released all of that together, but it it was just released i mean you can find almost all of it online all of the videos all of the text messages all of the emails it's pretty much all been released the record the uh, phone recordings interview recordings it's all out there you can yep. go and find all of it yeah and uh, something to do some of the day. oh right um, some of the documents are redacted. A lot of them aren't. Uh, one of the videos of law enforcement showing up, because Tylee was a minor at the time, her face is blurred out. But they, again, the Arizona Police Department, they have been very open about what they have. And then July 29th of 2021, if you guys don't remember back in 2020, they had charged Lori and Chad in order to arrest them, right? Which this is a normal thing that law enforcement do while they're gathering evidence. They charged them with a lesser charge so that they could essentially get enough information together to charge them with a more serious crime. So in this case, they had charged both of them with concealment of evidence charges until they were able to bring the murder charges against them. So on July 29th of 2021, uh, the, those charges were dropped. 
So the lesser charges were dropped. So now we only have the fraud charges and the murder charges. And that's it. We're now in August of 2021. This is a good spot to stop this episode. And we will see you for our next episode. Like I said last week, we recorded these back to back just because Angie was half dying. (laughs) (laughs) I sounded amazing. I don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) You sounded like a strange dude. (laughs) Oh man, I should have done my dude impression for you then. Oh, it was so good. No, don't. Don't. No, I can't. I can't do it now. I meant then. Well, we can, the next time you're sick, don't forget to call me and do your dude impression. Okay. Sounds good. All right. So next episode, we'll start in, in August of 2021 and hopefully get through August, September, and October of 2021. Don't forget to rate, subscribe, listen, follow, and be on the lookout for when we post our link for our Patreon. All right, we will see you soon. Bye. Bye.